Well, uh, Mother's Day is coming up, uh, second Sunday in May. It's not too far away. Uh, we stop and remember and thank our mums. How can you say thank you, though, to someone who does so much? No expression of appreciation is enough, I think. Uh, certainly not one Mother's Day a year. It's a bit ironic, isn't it, that uh, we stop for one Mother's Day, one Sunday a year, to say thanks to mum. Uh, a card, a bunch of flowers, breakfast in bed. Uh, it's hard... It hardly measures up uh, when mums do so much, don't they? They gave us life. They hold our family together often. They remember appointments, provide first aid, cook, clean, comfort, protect, a hundred other things. How can I say thank you to someone who's done so much? Well, that's the question this woman asks in Mark 14 about Jesus. How can I say thank you to someone who has done so much? What can she possibly do to repay him, to express her gratitude? Mark doesn't tell us her name. It's almost certainly Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. That's what John's Gospel tells us. Lazarus, uh, you probably remember, is the one Jesus raised from the dead. Now, that's enough reason for Mary to be uh, grateful, receiving her brother back from the dead, but it's probably not all. If we throw in uh, what Luke tells us about this Mary, Luke chapter 10 describes an earlier meal uh, where Mary and Martha invited Jesus over for dinner. You may remember Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. Uh, her sister Mary, uh, her sister Martha, of course, she's in the kitchen preparing dinner and She's not too impressed with what Mary's doing, but Jesus says Mary is doing the better thing. I would love to have been eavesdropping in on that conversation. So it's likely, I think, that Mary kept following Jesus from that earlier meeting or even before. It's likely that the family knew Jesus well. John chapter 11 describes the message the sisters send to Jesus when their brother Lazarus is sick. They say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And we can only imagine the impact Jesus had on Mary's life. And she is searching for some way to thank him. What can she possibly say that expresses what she feels? But in the end, she can't think of a single word. And so she doesn't say anything. Verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. What is Jesus worth? Everything, she decides. Uh, she is wor he's worth more than life itself. He's, he's certainly worth more than her most expensive possession. She pours the perfume on his head. The whole thing, she cracks open the jar. She doesn't drip it out sparingly. She doesn't save some for a rainy day. Everything. It's an extravagant gesture, an act of outrageous generosity. For this woman, the loss of her treasure is nothing compared to what she's gained from Jesus. It's exactly the sort of choice Jesus described back in chapter 8, verse 35, when he said... Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. 
Give up everything for Jesus and the gospel. It's outrageously generous, but those around her instead are simply outraged. Verse 4, they say, what a waste. More than a year's wages, and there it goes, soaking into the ground. What was the point? And I guess what they're really saying is, that's too much for Jesus. He doesn't deserve that much. He deserves something, but but not that much. How much is Jesus worth to you? A year's wages or something less? How much does it mean to you that Jesus died for you so that you didn't have to? Is he worth more than giving up your Sunday mornings and your Wednesday nights? Is he worth more to you than the loose coins in your pocket? Or a few rushed moments you take to talk to him before the start of a day? Or is an eternity of serving and loving him a little closer to the mark? Loving him with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength? A lifetime spent declaring his praises to people who don't yet know him? Ecuador, in Ecuador or Thailand or Tanzania or even here in Ashfield. Is that a little closer to the mark? What will you do to say thank you to Jesus? That's the question before us, the question I want us to think about as we consider this week and next and into Easter the suffering Jesus experienced for us. As we see his steadfast obedience, as we see his love, despite the temptation to seek an easier way. Each of these four little sections today, there's a challenge for us about how we respond to Jesus. In our first section, this beautiful description of the woman is sandwiched between two awful descriptions, two sets of people who respond to Jesus in the complete opposite way to Mary. But interestingly, all three of them point forward to the cross and so there's these dark clouds hanging over this beautiful story. It's the nameless woman we're meant to imitate there in the middle but look at one side of the sandwich verse 1 we've got the chief priests and the teachers of the law looking for a way to arrest and kill Jesus and then down at verse 10 at the bottom of it the other the other end of the sandwich we've got the hatred and the greed of Judas Judas went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, promised to give him money. These two descriptions are like the black cloth that jewellers use when they pull out the diamond. And they put the diamond on top of the black cloth and it just the contrast just means the diamond sparkles so much more. Here in the middle of those two dark pictures, we've got this bright portrait of Mary. Look at what Jesus says about her act. Verse 6. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. You can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Uh, Jesus accepts her gift. 
He calls it a beautiful thing. It's literally a good work. She's done a good work to me. And notice how Jesus uses her action to once again point towards his coming death. He says, in the same way a dead body is perfumed with spices before it's buried, Jesus says, she's doing that. She's preparing my body for death before I actually die. That's fascinating to wonder whether she was doing that consciously. Did she know Jesus was headed to death and she was doing it for that purpose? I think she certainly... Uh, her character is someone who wants to listen carefully to what Jesus says, so I think it's probably quite likely that, that she's actually heard Jesus as he's talked about uh, his coming death. And she's understood more clearly than the disciples have. Yes, it's a good work to look after the poor, says Jesus, but it's an even better work to prepare me for burial. And the interesting thing is, these are the only spices Jesus' body receives. He never actually gets the spices and the perfume uh, after he's dead. The women bring them to the tomb, but they never get the chance to use them. Jesus doesn't need them anymore. Her critics see this gesture as a waste, a mistake, something best overlooked and forgotten. But Jesus says, no. It's far more important than that. It's something to be remembered and repeated and imitated. Verse 9, she says, wherever the gospel, uh, he, he says, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Do you notice there how Jesus points beyond his death to the resurrection? He says, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever the good news wherever the king's victory is proclaimed, uh, she will be remembered. He's already looking beyond the cross to the resurrection. In fact, the gospel proclamation uh, includes this declaration of what she's done. It's not an event to be corrected or hushed up. It's one to be remembered and celebrated and imitated. And so here's a question for us to think about. How much is Jesus worth to you? Make your generous generous response like this one, like that of the woman. As the gospel is preached, as you preach the gospel throughout the world, no gift you can offer him is too great, no sacrifice too much, no time commitment too long, no pain too intense, No irritation, too uncomfortable. No loneliness or abandonment, too empty. To say thank you to Jesus. How much is he worth to you? What will you give in gratitude? We'll hold that question. Uh, Let's move on. A couple of days later, it's time for Passover. Verse 12, Jesus makes preparation. Uh, Another meal, his last meal. Through that, as we read the other Gospels, uh, through that meal, we, we know that Jesus says lots of things. But Mark, however, chooses to zoom in on just one idea, the idea of a betraying friend, 
a betraying friend. Verse 18. While they were reclining at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They were saddened and one by one they said to him, surely not I. It's one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. It's almost like Jesus can hardly get the words out. He can't be- it's too incredible to believe. One of you who's eating with me. The, the ultimate sign of loyalty. The disciples can't believe it either. Surely not I. The disciples don't know who it is, but we do. Jesus knows as well. And just in case the disciples had missed it, Jesus shows them what will happen to him because of Judas' betrayal. He takes a loaf of bread, part of the Passover meal, and just like normal, he gives thanks for it, and then he breaks it into pieces, but now he adds a new detail. As they watch the loaf of bread being torn apart, he says, take it, this is my body. This is what's in store for me. And then later, after they they drink from the one cup, all of them drink from the one cup, he, he adds, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. It's a weird expression, blood of the covenant, uh, but it's straight out of the Old Testament. It it, it first appears in Exodus 24 with Moses uh, talking to Israel. Uh, And when God made promises, when he made covenants or agreements or contracts, he sealed them. He, He ratified or affirmed or established them with the blood of sacrifices. And so here, Jesus is saying that this new agreement that God is making with people, this new contract, will be signed with Jesus' blood, uh, guaranteed with blood. It's Jesus' body snapped in two. It's his blood flowing across the dusty ground that guarantees God's promise, that confirms the covenant, uh, that guarantees that God is really making us his children. He's really forgiving our sin. In other words, it's Jesus' blood that makes us sure that we're Christians. It's what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Every time we eat, we're actually checking the contract. We're looking at the fine detail. We're reassuring ourselves that, yes, everything is in order. I am God's child. My sin is forgiven. My eternity is sure. They sing a hymn. They head to the Mount of Olives. Well, how do we respond to Jesus in this section? He offers the bread of his body to his disciples. He offers it to us as well. Will you eat it? He offers the wine of his blood to his disciples. And to you as well, will you drink it? In other words, will you accept Jesus? Will you accept his, the, uh, God's contract signed in blood? The first section was about how much you love Jesus. Well, this section is about how much God loves you. How much does he love you? Well, he loves you 
this much. Scene three takes place on the Mount of Olives. Uh, We see a self-confident follower. It's about disowning Jesus or denying him. We're aware that Judas will betray Jesus. He's the only one, but everybody else abandons Jesus. Uh, Jesus knows that it's coming. He knows his disciples. He says in verse 27, you will all fall away, Jesus told them. Why? For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter pipes up, even if all fall away, I will not. You're probably right about them, but not me. I'm better than they are. Jesus dismisses his pride. Verse 30, I tell you the truth, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the others said the same. How sure are you that you would not deny Jesus? That you wouldn't stay quiet when it counts or take the easy way out? Maybe it's work where it's difficult for you. Doing what's right when there's pressure from everyone else or from your bosses to do the easy or the profitable or the illegal thing. Will you stand up for Jesus? Maybe it's with your friends who who just laugh at Christians for their intolerance or their old-fashioned morality or their blind belief. And they try to bait you into reacting. And and you're tempted to either lash out at them to retaliate or or just to go quiet, depending on your personality. Or perhaps it's with non-Christian family who, who know you so well. They know your weaknesses, they know your failures. And you can imagine their accusation, hypocrite, as soon as you mention the word Jesus. Will you stand up for Jesus wherever you are? Well, we now move on to the fourth scene. It's the Garden of Gethsemane, one of Jesus' favourite places. We've seen a grateful woman, a betraying friend, a self-confident follower, and now we see a human saviour. A human saviour. This section, it's full of emotion. Jesus knows the hour is close. He's worried In fact, he's so upset, he says his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, verse 34. And he's genuinely tempted to follow an easier path, one without the pain, the loneliness, the abandonment. Verse 36, he prays this intriguing prayer. As we ponder what's going on inside the Trinity, as we ponder the relationship between the the Son and the Father. He says in verse 36, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. It's fascinating to try and work out how the Father and the Son can will different things. and That's one aspect of it. But let's just think about Jesus. Jesus, who who is fully God, 
but who is also fully man. Uh, Hebrews tells us that he, he was tempted in every way, but never sinned. And so here in the garden, he, he's tempted to turn away from obeying his father. He's tempted to choose disobedience. Just like the first Adam was tempted in another garden. But as much as he longed to avoid the pain of what lay ahead, his desire to obey his father was stronger. Yet, not what I will, but what you will, was his conclusion. Out of love and obedience for his father, out of love for the world, he chose to go to his death. The second Adam succeeded where the first Adam failed. That's what Jesus has done for you. How can you say thank you to someone who's done so much? Well, Jesus gives us part of the answer. He speaks to his disciples. He comes back from his prayer and he finds the disciples sleeping. And in verse 37, he scolds Peter and he said, couldn't you keep your eyelids open for one hour? And then he comes back again. And then in verse 38, he, he changes. And from talking to Peter, the individual, he, he now addresses everyone. It's a plural you, y'all, or if you're an Aussie, use. And he says, watch and pray that y'all will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, Jesus wants all of his disciples to look out, to be careful, to not fall into temptation. But not just to try harder, but to pray, to pray that God would strengthen us, keep us, hold us, equip us uh, to not fall into temptation. That he would equip us to offer ourselves uh, to speak for him, to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth, that we might offer our hearts, souls, minds and strength to him. Because that's how you say thank you to someone who's done so much. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, words can't describe uh, what Jesus has done for us. A thousand hallelujahs wouldn't be enough. Words, Mary recognised words couldn't describe what Jesus had done for her and so she showed it with action. Might our lives reflect something of our gratitude to you? May our response be gratitude rather than guilt or keeping up with appearances or any other motive. Might our response be gratitude and thanks. And we pray all of these things so that Jesus might be honoured. Amen.